0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment.
1: Right now, one of my dear friends, and has been for, oh my goodness, 20 years, I guess. Uh, He didn't have all the gray hair he has when he started. Uh, Good morning, Dr. History. How are you?
0: Good morning, Zeb. And you're right. The hair has gotten a little grayer than it was.
1: But I have to admit, uh, at least both of us still have hair. That's true. For a
0: while.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Listen, we're doing this program just this week on a remote basis. Next week, we're going to be teamed up in the same studio again. But uh, every single week, and I had four people call me yesterday on my cell phone. And uh, your program is so popular, they're saying, well, what's he going to talk about? Bank robberies? Is he going to talk about stagecoach robberies? What's he going to talk about today?
0: (laughs) Well, and, you know, they just have to live in suspense till the time comes, right? Okay. So here we go. Uh, but before we start, I want to say hi to a couple of people uh, Bill in South Dakota, Jimmy, who offered me some magazines with stories in them, and Jeff, a longtime listener, and Jessica and her dad, Gary, over there in law Falls, Wisconsin.
1: Oh my goodness, that's my old stomping grounds.
0: I know, I know. So just want to say hi and hope they're all doing good. Okay. So, so today we're gonna to talk about law enforcement or sometimes the other side of the law. Okay. okay. You know, thousands of men enforce the law on the western frontier as constables, sheriffs, policemen, marshals, detectives. And most of the work involved pretty routine things, uh, like collecting taxes, seeing that licenses were up to date, arresting wife beaters, keeping a lid on the illegal sale of booze, checking on store doors at night, and generally making sure things were under control in the saloons and one thing and another. And uh, gun duels, hangings, and, you know, chasing stakes and train robberies were not nearly as frequent as TV and movie would suggest. So so for the most part, it probably is somewhat of a boring job, I would say. Now, most lawmen were on the up-and-up, Virgil Earp, Bill Tillman, Charlie Seringo, and they met with some kind of extraordinary circumstances during their careers, but they each performed admirably in their law enforcement positions uh, across several western states and territories. And uh, the men prov- provided to be uh, dependable when they had a badge on, but not so much when they didn't have a badge. For example, uh, uh, Virgil's brother Wyatt uh, was once arrested for riding off on someone else's horse. You, you just don't do that.
1: So, in other words, in simple terminology, he was a horse thief. <laughs>
0: that pretty much describes it. But, you know, there were still others who were just plain no good. Uh, for example, uh, elected marshal of Nevada City, California in 1856, Henry Plummer, showed his true colors the following year. He went after a wife-beater, uh, arrested him, and then ended up killing him. Uh, and they didn't particularly like that, so they sent uh, him to the San Quentin uh, prison for a few years. Mm-hmm. But uh, he landed uh, in what? soon became Montana Territory in 1863, and he convinced the locals to elect him sheriff of Bannock uh, in the new Gold Strike region. And in a matter of weeks, the Plummer Gang uh, committed scores of robberies and murders. Well, you know, the Montana uh, people of Bannock uh, up there in Virginia City, you know what I'm talking about, Zeb, up yep, there by you, in yeah. Montana,
1: mm-hmm.
0: up in that area. Yep. Virginia City and Nevada City, but anyway, the the vigilantes kind of ran out of uh, patience with him, so in January 1864, they went on a hanging spree, and in the deadliest episode of Vigilante Justice in U.S. History, the citizen mobs threw 20 men up on the gallows and uh, had a little necktie party, and by late January, they had actually hung about 50 people, so that was a little bit of a deterrent for anybody uh... wanting to to break the law. But the most notable victim was the sheriff Plummer, and the vigilantes hanged him from the gallows on January tenth, eighteen sixty four. Basically, was running a a, a a gang, the Plummer gang.
1: Well, I'm so sure I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they all had,
0: had checkered past or felt um, tough times. There was a guy by the name of Billy Blankenship, and he worked his way up from constable to deputy sheriff of Maricopa County in Arizona Territory, and then City Marshal of Phoenix in the 1880s. But the death of his daughter kind of turned this poor guy around. He became a drunk. I mean, he just went downhill, and as a result, he fell short on his accounts. He began collecting illegal taxes and was kind of on the take. but to his credit, he ultimately made a full public confession. He apologized and resigned, and he moved on. He uh, went to a place called Jerome, Arizona Territory. I've mm-hmm. never heard of that place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he recognized the, 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 well, the, the, the people recognized that uh, you know he was trying to do good, and so the local sheriff hired Billy as a deputy and within a few years, Blankenship had kind of redeemed himself and rising to become the city marshal of Jerome. So, now, around the turn of the 20th century in Arizona territory, the big-name lawman was U.S. Marshal Ben Daniels. Now, Daniels claimed a colorful frontier background as a Kansas buffalo hunter, uh, an assistant marshal in Dodge City, a deputy sheriff in Bent County, Colorado, a city marshal in Cripple Cripple Creek, Colorado, and later in Guthrie, Oklahoma, Territory, and actually was a uh, respected member of uh, Theodore Roosevelt's uh, Rough Riders. Could you again, please? (laughs) Sorry, my
1: phone is going off. I noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) Would you hang up and dial again, please? (laughs)
0: Okay, so here we go. We're back to, uh, to Ben Daniels. Uh, anyway, uh, so like I say, he was uh, in Cuba's, uh, 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 in the, on the San Juan Heights, uh, going up with, pre- with uh, the Rough Riders with President Roosevelt in 1902. Uh, shortly after that, Daniels' uh, appointment, however, uh, some of the past caught up with him. In his 20s, he'd been arrested for stealing army mules, and spent three years in the Wyoming penitentiary. Well, when word we reached Roosevelt about the marshal's uh, kind of buried criminal record, the president asked for his resignation. Uh, and fortunately for Daniels, Roosevelt and others believed that uh, his long-distinguished law enforcement career more than compensated for his uh, youthful I if you want to call it that. And on the president's urging, the incoming governor appointed Daniels, superintendent of the territorial prison at yuma and in 1905 the president reappointed him u.s. marshal of arizona territory and in later years daniel served as sheriff of pima county so despite the fact that he'd stolen some mules when he was a kid they kind of overlooked that and then, uh, and he went on to, to be a pretty good uh, law enforcement guy but you know taking care of number one was uh, consideration of a lot of the lawmen who crossed the line there was a guy by the name of uh, Wiley Lewis of Pasadena, California, and who, he was recommended to the Post by the chief of police. Who, uh, and this Wiley was kind of an observer of homes and stores while walking his beat in 1919. He had a large family but couldn't make ends meet on his salary, so he kind of chased his routes. He borrowed a few automobiles from friends and robbed right and left for months, uh, he gave meaning to putting food on a table, table because he uh, stole some hams, barrels of sugar, and a ton of canned goods. He also made off with bicycles, car tires, a brass bed, paintings, and clothes. <laughs> this guy went for everything, you know. And when they searched his home, they found all this loot, and uh, he ended up in the in San Quentin. is mm-hmm. so his. Uh, his uh, habit of stealing kind of went down the drain. But anyway, now there's another guy named Frank Dyer. He was appointed U.S. Marshal of Utah in 1886, and he served for three years. And he was also a careful man with his money. And, uh, for example, after charging the government for seed potatoes, he had prisoners plant and weed the spuds, then sold the produce to the government uh, for use uh, in the prison. And that's not all. He took a similar approach with dairy cows. He charged the government for feed, had the prisoners milk the cows, then sold the milk back to the federal prison. <laughs> so I, I thought that was kind of a unique way to kind of get around things, and add a little more money to your pocket.
1: Yeah, but wait a minute, Dr. History. Isn't that exactly what yeah. the government's doing to us? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I don't have any cows there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, among the most intriguing of Western lawmen was a guy by the name of Johnny Behan. And I've actually talked about him before. And his career spanned three de- decades. He was, among other things, a member of the Arizona Territorial Re- Legislature, a sheriff of two counties, superintendent of the Yuma Territorial Prison, a school inspector, a tax collector, a federal border inspector, But uh, he's best known, of course, as the Cochise County Sheriff, who sided with the Cowboys. Some say they were rustlers in their dispute with the Earps in Tombstone, Arizona. And he was unable to prevent the October 1881 gunfight near the O.K. Corral. And he kind of testified at great length against his fellow lawmen, uh, Virgil and Wyatt Earp, in the aftermath of that. So he was certainly no hero. And... Wherever he settled and whatever position he held, uh, controversy seemed to follow. He was perpetually in court being sued or suing somebody. And Behan appeared in court five times to answer felony charges for his actions while he was the sheriff of Cochise County. So uh, he was a bit of a renegade. But wherever he popped up, one could count on several things. Number one, he would win the people over. He was kind of a, a good talker, I guess. And he would land a good job. That during or after his term of office, there would be investigations and charges and likely court action. So Behan was not exactly above the law, so to speak, even though he was the law. And then we talk about a guy that you have heard of, and I think most people have, Tom Horn. And in his day, he was a prominent frontier personality. He served the Army in the 1870s and 80s as an outstanding tracker on various sorties against the Apaches in Arizona Territory. He's in the ranch for a while. He's ser- What's that, that?
1: I didn't say anything for once. I've been really quiet and well-behaved.
0: <laughs> well, you're kind of scratchy on <laughs> my end of the phone, so I can't hear you very good. So, uh, so anyway, I'll continue. Uh, so, Tom, ranch for a time, served as a deputy sheriff during the territory's bloody Pleasant Valley War and later hired out as a ga- gun hand or... Uh, some people might say a paid assassin for the livestock interests uh, on the Northern Plains. But like Dehan, wherever Horn went, controversy usually followed. Uh, He easily made both friends and enemies, and for some years he worked as a Pinkerton detective out of the agency's Denver office, uh, though he wasn't really uh, very effective. In fact, in April of 1891, someone robbed a feral game in Reno and soon after local authorities apprehended detective horn on an outbound express train they searched him and they found the mask a pistol and the money and anyway after some legal proceedings uh horn walked free now according to a fellow pinkerton man uh charlie Seringo, the agency knew horn was guilty but they couldn't afford the hit to its reputation from a conviction well And in later years, Horn worked as a deputy sheriff and as a hired gun for the Wyoming cattle barons. And there, in a controversial drunken confession, he reportedly admitted killing a local rancher's uh, son. And here's what he said about that. He said, quote, the best shot I ever made and the dirtiest trick I ever done. And we've talked about that, how he shot and killed the rancher's boy, uh, maybe by mistake, but we don't know. But. Anyway, guilty or not, the folks in Wyoming had had enough. Horn was tried, convicted, and hung in Cheyenne, November 20th, 1903. Now we move on to another guy. A guy named Ben Thompson was another lawman. Um, the Texans who hired him must have figured a gunfighter with experience on the frontier was just the sort of guy they needed as a peace officer. Now, British born Thompson arrived in Texas as a boy. He grew into adulthood as a wanderer and sometimes gambler who killed several men in Mexico. He knew his way around, figuring uh, he was ready to work the other side of the law. He ran for city marshal of Austin in 1879, but didn't make it. He was voted down. In 1880, the citizens elected him marshal. Though one historian claimed Thompson, quote, seldom spent a sober day on the job. So he tended to imbibe a bit, I guess. So in July of 1882, during a family vacation in San Antonio, the marshal came across a longtime enemy by the name of Jack Harris, and they met in a uh, kind of a theater saloon. They uh, kind of looked at each other, dirty looks, and Thompson uh, assumed Harris was going for his gun, and he says, "I drew and fired, fired," and the marshal spent some months in jail before being acquitted. Well, two years later, uh, Thompson uh, dropped by this same theater for a drink, and the new owners recognized him, and they still had a grudge against him killing their previous owner. And they gunned down Thompson right there, and the court later said, well, it was justified. He deserved it. Oh, my. So the, the law and those with the law kind of took it into their own hands a lot of times. So now we go to another guy named Henry Newton Brown. He was raised in Missouri before drifting further west. He worked both sides of the law uh, amid grabbing events uh, on the wild frontier. After his buffalo hunting days, he joined up with Billy the Kid's regulators during the Lincoln County War in New Mexico Territory and was among the participants in the ambush killing of Sheriff William Brady. Mm. Now, a subsequent uh, indictment for murder prompted him to head out to Texas and here he actually became deputy sheriff of a place called oldham county and he later sell, settled in caldwell kansas where he served as assistant city marshal then city marshal and his appro- approval rating was so high that citizens reelected him several times and actually presented him with this really really nice uh... engraved winchester rifle well this kind of went to his head uh, and it kind of maybe convinced him he was above the law. So Marshall Brown grabbed his new Winchester, recruited a good friend of his, and headed for Medicine Lodge, Kansas, whose bank they decided was easy pickings. Well, things didn't go well. On entering the lobby, the would-be robbers got into a deadly shootout in which the bank president and a cashier were killed. Brown and the gang fled under fire without a single dollar. They didn't get any money. Well, a posse soon captured and jailed the two guys, and a lynch mob came to get them, bursting through the crowd. Brown almost got away, but a shotgun blast ended his short-lived career as a criminal. Uh, in jail, uh, he penned a note to his wife containing the great statement, I didn't think this would happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure he didn't. <sighs>
1: now,
0: such cases of crossing the line, shifting values, or downright evildoing was far from the norm among the Western peace officers. Most of them said they just did a good job, and we don't hear so much about them. But on taking the oath, most fulfilled it to the best of their abilities. Texas Ranger John Reynolds Hughes, for one, uh, was an exemplary lawman boasting a three-decade career spent in the pursuit of criminals and Occasionally shootouts with them. He went wherever trouble raised his head, from El Paso to Brownsville. In retirement, the lawman who lived pretty frugally and saved diligently became the chairman and largest stockholder of an Austin bank and huge, retained a prominent place in the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame in Waco. Wow. Let me. Uh... Canadian born lawman Seth Bullock migrated south to Montana Territory in 1867. He was elected to the Territorial Senate and had much to do with uh, early Yellowstone developments. In 1873, he was elected Sheriff of Lewis and Clark County. uh, Drawn to Deadwood, Dakota Territory three years later by some business opportunities spawned by the gold rush, he instead accepted an appointment as Sheriff over there in Deadwood. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to safeguarding local mining and cattle interests, he proved an effective uh, forest supervisor of the Black Hills Reserve and in 1905, President Roosevelt appointed him U.S. Marshal for South Dakota, and he had that for about nine years. But decades of service with integrity were the hallmark of his life. He was just a good, good guy. Let me... uh, I've got a couple more guys here. There's a guy named Bob Hall. Uh, his career in the far, far West was also a model of dedication and integrity, beginning with his arrival in the California goldfields in 1848. Uh, first elected as a town constable in 1854. He served off and on as a lawman for nearly 40 years. Uh, Paul was a sheriff in both California and Arizona Territory. He worked as a special messenger for Wells Fargo, and in 1890 was appointed U.S. Marshal of the Arizona Territory by then-President Benjamin Harrison. Uh, at his death in 1901, he was serving as a justice of the peace in Tucson. Now, you know, of course, a few Western lawmen were as distinguished as these guys, Hughes, Bullock, and Paul, uh, let alone approaching the uh, the fame of Virgil or Bill Tillman or Charlie Seringo. Sur- but, you know, the majority of mostly forgotten badge wearers may not have had stellar careers, but they nevertheless answered the call to service. They put in long hours, low pay, safeguarding the citizens, and uh, thankfully the dramatic upsetting talk as a sheriff's planning bank robberies or getting drunk following a job were really more rare exceptions than they were the rules. So, right. You know, we, we hear about the bad guys that were on the take. They robbed their own banks. They killed their own citizens. And yet uh, the majority of, I'm, I'm going to say, were just good, honest, hardworking men trying to do trying to do what they
1: needed to do all right now i've got to jump in here doc because we've only got a minute left and i've got to ask you a quick question and tell me if i'm wrong john wesley harden was a known killer and didn't he at one point in his career when he tried to reform if you will didn't he become a deputy sheriff for a while you know
0: i I know I've done a story on him, but it's been so long I can't remember for sure. But I I think you're right. I, I think you are right. I'd have to check that.
1: Well, I appreciate your walk down memory lane with all the sheriffs and all the good and bad guys, uh, the Erps, et cetera, and uh, outstanding job. I really appreciate that this morning, Doctor History, of course, on our program. And I'm almost out of time. And next week we'll be in the studio together, so we can throw rocks at each other. And I appreciate your being on the program this morning. Thank you, Doctor History. Have a good day. God bless you, man. Thank you so much. You. Always look forward to that segment with Dr. History. He's uh, outstanding, all the stories that he's put together.